Good morning and uh, welcome. Welcome to our service of worship here. Second Sunday of Advent, by the way. Uh, we got to light another candle because this is the second Sunday, right? Um, these things burn down fast. We figure it burned down that much last week. So that's roughly, uh, I preached for like 40 minutes. So these things, this will be really low today. It's a doozer we got today. So these things will be like, the, the whole wreath will be catching fire today. Uh, just as a warning. Um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, please open them with me. I got two. Does anyone need one? I got two. I can throw it. Not far, but... Uh, is that... Yeah? There you go. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And uh, <clears throat> as you are turning there, um, I, I just need to warn you, in case you have received an email that looks strange in your inbox, uh, it might look like this, uh, sent from Pastor Gary, mailchurch322 at gmail.com, blessings, I do have a request for you, so let me know if you got a minute, sent from app for Gmail. Uh, so our staff all received this message from Pastor Gary Rush on Friday. Um, this is not me. I don't yell blessings at the beginning of an email, uh, and I try, try to do a little bit better with the English language there, but this is, this is so frustrating when this happens, isn't it? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's actually beyond frustrating. It's actually kind of disturbing because someone is posing as you, right? If you've had this happen, if your email's been hacked, they, they are acting in your name, saying things on your behalf, spreading lies. It's what they're doing. So if this has happened to you, you know just how, how exasperating it is right? Uh, if not, like I mentioned, disturbing. Sadly, no one knows this better than our Lord Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, people have been falsely, fraudulently doing and saying things in his name. And in fact, today there are more false teachers and preachers more false prophets and healers than, than ever before. And in claiming the name of Jesus, they are in fact defaming the name of Jesus. Jesus said this would happen. In Matthew 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did, did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. However, as true followers of Jesus Christ, 
my friends, filled with his Holy Spirit, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word as we sing in that classic hymn, whatever we do, as Paul writes, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, it will all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You've probably picked up on a theme this morning, the name of Jesus Christ. By faith in the name of Jesus Christ. That is what we see in the first part of Acts chapter 3, which is really a, a chapter about a miracle and the message behind it. As one commentator says, it's, it's about the wonder and then the word that explains the wonder, the word of God. By faith in the name of Jesus. Last week we saw that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray, right? Three in the afternoon, the second time of prayer. They were following the, the traditional pattern of Jewish worship as the early church did on their way likely for the second time that day to the temple to pray. And as they are on their way to the temple, they see this man, this crippled man, crippled from birth we read who was placed there every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, this huge, ornate meeting place. It's, in fact, it was the favorite place for beggars to go and to beg for money because people were coming with money in hand, ready to impress God at the temple with their piety. And what do we read? Do you remember this? This is so amazing. Peter, he sees this man... This man who just wants some spare change. And Peter says to him, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, leaping, we saw, praising God. When all the people saw him walking, praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. That's him. He's walking now. He's healed. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow, wonder and amazement. Uh, that brings us to our passage today. We're going to pick things up at verse 11. So uh, I'm just going to invite you, if you have strong legs and ankles, <laughs> if you are able to please stand as uh, I read the word of the Lord today. Beginning at verse 11, here's what we read. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But... God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from all from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you. How? By turning each of you from your wicked ways. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Uh, Can I, can I steal this, guys, this, or borrow it? That's probably better. Um, <clears throat> so this is amazing, right, what we've just read. This happened. This is real. This is the power of Jesus' name at work, the power of faith in the name of Jesus at work through Peter and John on that amazing day. Um, now, we read this in verse 11. It's interesting because we've just, we talked about how the, the lame man was instantly completely healed. Just like every instance of, of healing in Scripture, specifically in the book of Acts, it's always instant and complete. We talked about that last week. Now, it says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. Why is he holding on to them? It's not because he's weak. It's because he is strong. In fact, my, my theory here is that the word, the word hold on, it means to grasp mightily. I think he was bear hugging them because he was so happy. He's probably swinging them around because he's full of gratitude for what God has done. God has healed him. He is living proof of the power of Jesus, right? And so... That's what it says. The, the beggar held on to Peter and John, and then all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Have you ever heard of this before? Yeah, Solomon's Colonnade. Some of you have. Very significant place in Scripture. This would actually become the meeting place of the church. This is where they would meet for worship because significant things happened here. This is not the first time we read of Solomon's Colonnade. By the way, just in case, just to kind of get the lay of the land, Solomon's colonnade was, was this outer court outside of the inner courts. It was also called, as we see in this slide, Solomon's porch. And it was literally like this great big porch that surrounded the temple, the, the inner temple courts. And this is where Peter would stand up and preach that day. This is where all the people flocked to because it was big, it was vast. Here's an artist's rendering of Peter on Solomon's porch, proclaiming the word, the message that we just read. But this wasn't the first time this happened. In fact, this wasn't the first time 
that Jesus' name and the power in Jesus' name, the miracle-working power of Jesus' name is explained in Solomon's colonnade. Jesus himself did this. He, he was the first one. In John 10, here's what we see. There's Jesus, okay? So we got Peter, well, about a year earlier in the winter, Jesus, it says in John 10, was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I love Jesus' answer. I did tell you. (laughs) I did, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. And he goes on to say, verse 29, my Father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then verse 30, I and the Father are one, Jesus told the Jews. And at this, again, they picked up stones to stone him. It wasn't the first time they tried to kill him. They picked up stones to kill him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus goes on to ask them, why? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Look at this, verse 37. Do not believe in me unless I do what my father does. (laughs) But if I do it, even though you do not believe in me, believe in the miracles. Why? So that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but... He escaped their grasp. This happened in Solomon's colonnade the previous winter, uh, where Jesus explained that his miracles were done in his Father's name. We've been talking about what it means to act in the name of someone, to do something in, in someone's name. And we've seen, we talked about this last week in the Bible, that that means if if you're doing something in someone's name, you are acting in their authority. Their name in Scripture, in Semitic thought, a person's name symbolized who they were, their character, their attributes. Everything that made them them was summed up in their name. And Jesus is saying, I'm acting in my Father's name. And here's what that looks like, verse 37. Do not believe in me unless I do what my Father does. Jesus was doing what his father was having him do. He was acting on his father's behalf. Uh, Well, a year later, Peter stands in the same place explaining how this miracle that that this crowd has just witnessed, that the healing of the layman, how that happened, and who was responsible for it? Jesus Christ. You see, even though the people were amazed by the healing of this lame man, they were not saved. They they were lost. They were dying. And Peter knows it. He knows that saving faith doesn't come by seeing miracles. How does it come? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Through the word of Christ. Peter knew that they needed to hear the word of Christ that day. 
that is what saves. The good news that comes through the word of Christ. And so Peter preaches his second gospel sermon explaining who Jesus is. And he does that by using several titles of Jesus that we're just going to briefly look at today. These, these really amazing titles in this little sermon he preaches here. And in using these titles, he contrasts the holiness of Christ with the heinousness of the, the people's crimes against him. It's this juxtaposition of, of Jesus' glory and the people's guilt. So verse 12, Peter, when he saw how amazed the crowd was, he says to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this lame man walk? You see, miracles were done in names other than Jesus. There, were, there was dark powers at work. There was witchcraft and, and sorcery. There was, there was other ways to do miracles. And Peter's like, it was none of that. It was not our power or any other power. It is not our piety that this happened because of that. No. What does he say? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He knows his audience well, Peter does, this Jewish audience. And so he chooses this description of God that was most familiar to them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the name by which God spoke to Moses when he called him to deliver Israel in Exodus chapter 3. And Peter's saying that the miracle that you've just witnessed here today, it's not our power, not our piety, it's God. It's the very God that you've come here to this temple to worship today who's done this. The God of Israel. He has glorified his what? His servant, Jesus. Servant was a uh, very familiar Old Testament term of the Messiah. In, in their minds, hearing that word servant, in, in the people's minds, they would think of the suffering servant that the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 40, through to 53. While Peter is claiming continuity with the Old Testament prophets, he's connecting that Old Testament dot to Jesus. Jesus, who said what? The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter's telling them, it's your God, people. It's the God of the covenant and the prophets who put his stamp of approval on Jesus and said, this is the Messiah, this is your Savior, and my servant, that's what God said. And it's a powerful op opening line here, but uh, I love how politically incorrect Peter is in what happens next. It's, it's even more striking than his opening line. He, this is not a seeker-friendly sermon, right? By the way, seeker-friendly, we, we need to be really careful about that. There's more damage done in trying to be friendly trying to make the gospel appealing to all, then telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's what Peter does. <laughs> he points to these people. He's like, you are guilty. Do you, do you realize what you've done? Do you have any idea the gravity of what you've done? They didn't. They were ignorant. We just saw this miracle and ran here. What? What have we done? He says, you, you handed Jesus over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate 
even though Pilate had decided to let him go. So he's going back a little bit, isn't he? Uh, he, He's trying to say, Jesus is innocent. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus is the servant. By the way, Jesus, can we just talk about that name, Jesus, for a second? Jesus, Yeshua, Yah saves, Savior. The Lord is salvation is what it means. What did the angel say? She will give birth to a son. You were to give him the name, what? Jesus, because why? He will save his people from their sins. Yes, Jesus is our teacher. Yes, he he is our comforter. Yes, he is our Lord and, and our king. But he, first and foremost, is our savior because we need to be saved. And coming back to the gospel, that's what people need to hear. They need to understand the fact that they need to be saved and why. You see, if, if you're trying to start off with, oh, God loves you, that's, that's not where the gospel begins. Gospel doesn't begin with God's love, but with God's holiness. He's holy. And, and our sinfulness, we're not holy, which means we've got a very big problem. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only righteous son, his servant, our Savior, Jesus. And Peter is really, really clear about this. But the problem is, instead of embracing him as their Savior, his people, the Jews, disowned and rejected him. Right? That's what we read at the beginning of John's gospel. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected him. And so right out of the gates, Peter boldly confronts the crowd with the enormity of their sin in rejecting their Messiah. He doesn't tiptoe around it. He tells them the whole truth. Because the gospel, without the bad news, the good news doesn't make any sense. Right? We need to understand what it is we need to be saved from. And God made certain that both Jew and Gentile were guilty of Jesus' death. It's not just the Jews, it's Gentiles too. In fact, it's, it's, it's sinners. It's, if you're a sinner, that's you. We, us, we are guilty for putting Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that held him there. It was their sin, your sin, my sin, all sin. Which sets the starkest of contrasts in verse 14. To emphasize their guilt. That's what he does. He doesn't try to like soft sell it. He's like, okay, I actually, you need to really get a sense of your guilt here. So he says this in verse 14. He says, he repeats, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Oh man. The term holy one means separated unto God. It's used more than 40 times in the Old Testament as the most high and glorious title for Yahweh, the God of Israel. In fact, the holy one of Israel was Isaiah's very favorite title for God. Back in John 6, verse 69, Peter confessed to Jesus, we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. Peter's already confessed this, and now he's preaching it. He's like, that, that's who you disowned, the holy and righteous one. This is a claim of deity for Christ. He's God. You've disowned God. You've disowned the holy and righteous one. 
Um, which only highlights that word righteous there, by the way. It means innocent. Highlighting the people's guilt and the events that led up to Jesus' crucifixion as they begged for Jesus, their innocent Messiah, to be beaten. They wanted him to be mocked and, and ridiculed and, and beaten to a pulp and then nailed to a cross. They, they begged for that to happen and instead that a murderer, Barabbas, be released in his place. It's horrible. And then Peter, he's not done. <laughs> he he kind of steps on the gas a little harder with the indictments here. He, he says this, verse 15, okay, just in case you've missed it, you killed the author of life. Have you ever had someone look at you in the eye, point in your face, and, and accuse you of being a killer? You killed the author of life. Whoa. <laughs> uh, they were guilty not only of taking an innocent life, but of killing the author of life himself while demanding the release of a killer. Jesus gave life, Barabbas took it. The term author here, author of life, refers to the pioneer of something. Hebrews, in Hebrews 12 we read, Jesus is the author of our faith. Earlier in chapter 2 he says, the, the author of salvation is Jesus. It's another powerful declaration of the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. In case you missed it, he's God. The author of life, that's who you killed. The pioneer of life as we know it, through whom all things were created, things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, right? All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, as Paul writes, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. And Peter says to the crowd, that's who you killed. But, I love, I love these, these amazing howevers or buts in Scripture, but God raised him from the dead, Right? We are witnesses of this. The message doesn't end with the death of the author of life, but the resurrection of the author of life, my friends. God raised him from the dead. And Peter's saying, and we, we've seen it. We walked with him and talked with him. We ate with him. We have seen it. We have seen the risen Christ. We're witnesses of it. It's, it's evidence, ironclad proof. You see, had the authorities just been able to produce Jesus' dead body, would have been all said and done. But they couldn't. Because as we just sang this morning, Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead in a glorified body, defeating death. Promising eternal life to all who would believe in him. He, what did he say to Martha? I, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do. Do you believe this? We do. Amen. Praise God. Jesus rose from the dead. And my friends, we are spiritual witnesses of this because his Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, sealing our inheritance in heaven. Praise the Lord. Oh, and I love this because here's his argument. Basically, you're seeing this, by the way, I don't know, maybe the man is still like clinging to Peter and John through this whole sermon. Maybe Peter's trying to be like, hey, buddy, like, I get it, you're grateful. <laughs> but like, oh, I got to preach here. I don't know. But the point is, the, the, the evidence of this man walking, Peter connects to the evidence of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. 
He's like, the fact that this guy is walking is proof that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what he says. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, because you know him, you've walked by him and ignored him for the last 40 years of his life, he's been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Um, So, faith in the name of Jesus. This healed man literally stood as evidence of who Jesus really is. The risen author of life, the holy and righteous one of God himself. And not only was Jesus alive, but this miracle was done by faith in Jesus' name. Jesus' name and the faith through Jesus is the healing agent at work here. Do you get that? We need to kind of put this piece together because sometimes as Christians, I think, we, we okay, how do I, how do I live and, and act and speak in Jesus' name? It's not trying to think about what Jesus would do. It's not trying to come up with that. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit, right, through faith in the Word of God. It's, it's knowing what Jesus did do, knowing what Jesus did say, believing that, being filled with the Spirit, and then obeying Walking in light of his word, right? Walking according to the word of God. As we said, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this was done. This was Jesus at the right hand of God in heaven acting that day, moving, working that day through Peter and John by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. So when Peter said to that man in verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, it wasn't Peter at work. It was Jesus at work through him, in the name of, in the authority of, in the character of, in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Jesus is working in Acts. Yes, he's in heaven, but he's never been busier. As followers of Jesus, we need to remember that, my friends. Uh, Paul got this right. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives in me. Is that true for us? Do we remember that? It's Christ who lives in us. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit lives in us. He wants to work. He wants to do things that we can't do. He wants to use us. He he wants us to to be a part of the building of his kingdom, the spreading of the gospel, the sharing and showing of his light and his love to this world. I love that verse in Philippians 2. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure, his good purpose. Peter says this in verse 17, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Here it is. Repent then. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Just as he did in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter calls the crowd to repent which means to change one's mind, one's purpose. To, to change 
your affection and your direction. Turn around, right? And he emphasizes that turning. He says, repent and turn, which, by the way, is a picture not just of turning around, but of turning around and running. Oh, man. (laughs) Running. I'm going to do some damage up here. Turning around, running as hard as you can to the Lord. It's a picture of his refuge that we were singing about this morning. He is our refuge and strength. We run to him. Right, So it's not just a turning, and I think I'm going to go this way. It's a turning away from our life of sin and faith to God's Son and running and clinging to Him just as the man was clinging to John and to Peter that day. He is our refuge and strength. That's the picture here. And by the way, what, what did we see here? Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Beautiful picture. Uh, in in uh, Bible times here, we have like parchment, right? And they would write with ink on the parchment. Now, the ink didn't have much acid in it. So when they're, when they're writing on the parchment, it could easily be erased with basically like a damp cloth. Oh, shoot, we got a, uh, made a mistake. Take a damp cloth, wipe it right off the parchment, start again. That's the picture here, that your sins, repent, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. Damp cloth, just beautiful, like dry erase board, chalkboard, just wiped off. How? Through faith in the name of Jesus. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, proclaiming this, proclaiming his death, proclaiming his sacrificial death, his blood spilled for our sins to cover over, to blot out, to wipe away our sins, praise the Lord. That's an amazing picture here. But that's not the only benefit. He goes on, okay? Yes, you'll have your sins wiped out, but look at that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the prophets. This is what makes this passage an amazing passage for Advent right here. We're in Advent, and as... Uh, The girls reminded us in the children's devotional, yes, it's a time of preparing to celebrate Jesus' first advent at Christmas, but even more importantly, it's a time for us to anticipate and be ready for Jesus' return, which is what Peter points to right here, so that times of refreshing may come. He's looking forward to the time of Jesus' second advent You see, the healing of the lame man was but a sign of the time when Jesus Christ will return to rule and reign over the earth in righteousness, my friends. I want you to hear this. If you're struggling with chronic pain, with disease, with just a failing sick body, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no crippled legs or sick bodies. The healing of the lame man should remind us, encourage us, especially those in those physically difficult circumstances, that the restoration of all things is coming when Jesus Christ returns. Take heart, he's overcome this world and he's coming again to restore it. My friends, I just want to say this. If you repent of your sins, if you repent and turn away from your sin and faith to God's son Jesus for forgiveness, you will have your sins wiped away in Jesus' blood, and you will share in the promise of his glory to come when Jesus will return to restore all things, to make all things new. However, for those who refuse to repent, who continue to deny and reject Jesus Christ as Lord, judgment is coming, 
And that's what Peter points to next here in verse 22. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off. Also translated, will be utterly destroyed from among his people. See, the Jews knew this prophecy of Moses. This is recorded in Deuteronomy 18. But most of them believed that the prophet would be someone other than the Messiah. But Peter makes clear. He now sees, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he now sees the truth in Scripture. That, that they are one and the same. That anyone who does not listen to Jesus will be completely cut off. Also translated, utterly destroyed, as I mentioned. It's a stark, sobering warning of judgment. But with it, my friends, comes the most incredible promise of blessing for those who do repent, who do turn from their wicked ways in faith to God's Son, Jesus. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. It's all written in the Bible. It's all there. All of the prophets, all of it was pointing to Jesus Christ. And you were heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you. How? By turning each of you from your wicked ways. Embedded in God's promise of blessing to Abraham and his offspring, my friends, is the promise of blessing to every single person, every single people group on earth who will turn from their wicked ways and believe in God's son and servant, our Savior Jesus. So Peter gives this final call to repent which is exactly what ends up happening. We're not going to see this today, but a little preview of what's to come. In Acts 4.4, 4, when we put do the math, again, I'm not good at it, but I, I have checked this out. You do the math, roughly 2,000 more people turn from their wicked ways and are saved by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so like the healing of the man's body, that was nice, but the saving of 2,000 souls... That's amazing. That's the real work that was happening that day. Praise God. May we never underestimate, minimize, or forget the immeasurable power and effectiveness of Jesus' name, my friends. On the contrary, let us magnify the precious name of Jesus. Let us honor and cherish his holy name, knowing that it is faith in Jesus' name alone that brings forgiveness of sins, Salvation, life, healing, wholeness, restoration, peace, purpose, victory, significance, and meaning to every single thing we do. As we read in Philippians 2, God gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every single tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Make no mistake about it, one day every person will bow before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, if not voluntarily by force. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I urge you today to repent, to acknowledge and admit your sin and turn away from it in faith to God's Son for forgiveness. Surrender your life to Him today, and you will be given the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Because, my friends, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Peter proclaimed that. He was a witness to that, and so are we. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in faith, right, will be saved. I added in faith. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then you too can enjoy complete access to God the Father through faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I just want to end with this right here. This is really, to me, this is my, one of my theme verses of my life um, because it really sums it up what, what we're called to do here. As followers of Jesus Christ, whatever you do, whether in word, it's what you're speaking or what you're doing, what you're busy doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, your servant, our Savior, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the Messiah. We honor and bless and exalt your great name. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, I pray for boldness for each one of us, each follower of Jesus Christ gathered together here, boldness to speak the name of Jesus to this world, boldness to proclaim to those around us that there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Lord, I ask that you grow our faith, deepen it, and our confidence in acting and speaking, believing, serving, praying in the name of Jesus to your glory, God. And I ask these things in his name, that strong, saving, matchless name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every tongue in heaven and earth and under the earth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen. Friends, as we come today this morning and gather around the Lord's table, I'd like to take this moment for those who are watching at home. This is to make sure that you have your bread and your your juice before you. For those who are worshiping here in person, you received one of these little pre-packs. This is the time to start getting those little wrappers off, okay? You can release your wafer at the top and just have your juice ready so that you can easily partake of it as we go through the service. As we gather around the table of Jesus Christ, we come rejoicing in his beautiful, strong, most powerful name. 
giving thanks to God for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came among us as the word made flesh to show us the glory of God in the fullness of grace and truth. And together as we partake of the goodness of this table, we join our voices with all the saints of earth and angels above, indeed with the whole creation, to proclaim the glory of Jesus' name. Would you bow with me? Righteous God, you have crowned Jesus Christ as the Lord of all, and if truth be told, we must confess that we have not always bowed before him. We have not always yielded to his rule, as we have been slow to acknowledge his name above all names. Instead, we give allegiance to the powers of this world, and we fail to always place ourselves under the authority and the justice and love of Jesus Christ. So in your mercy we come, we ask for forgiveness, we ask for your cleansing. In your grace, give us the strength and determination to be true followers of Jesus, obeying the commands of our Lord, all to the glory and power and wonder of his name. Almighty, amen. Congregation of Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for those who truly have faith in his name, for those who have repented of their sins and lived to follow Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord. You are invited to come to this table with gladness, with rejoicing. You are invited to come and partake of the wonderful things Jesus wants to give to you. So come, come you who have much faith, come you who would like to have more. Come you who have eaten here often, come if you have not been here for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, come. You who have failed, come. This is the Lord's table. He invites you to meet him here. May we pray. With joy, we praise you, gracious God, for giving us the gift of all gifts, your Son and our Lord and Savior, for by his life, his death, his glorious resurrection, you have opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation it to proclaim the glory of his most precious and powerful name. We thank you for the bread, for the cup, always reminding us of the extravagant price you paid for our sins. We thank you for this table, which reminds us of our own death to sin and our own resurrection to life eternal even as we thank you for all we are about to receive in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread from the table as he and his disciples were sitting around it. He lifted it. He blessed it, I'm sure. And as he did, he started to break it in front of the disciples. And as he pulled that bread apart and broke it, 
he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. So as you take this bread from the nail-scarred hand of the one who is the very bread of life, receive it gladly, eat it thankfully, for this is the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus then took the cup, the cup of blessing. They were eating the Seder meal. He lifted it before the disciples, offering the blessing over it. And then he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and, and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So as you take the cup from the one whose side was pierced so his blood would flow, receive it gladly, drink it thankfully, for this cup is the new covenant sealed by Christ's blood, which was shed so that the sins of many may be forgiven. Do this to remember Jesus. For every time you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you are remembering and announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song today.
Amen. Uh, can I invite everyone, if, if you have a few moments after the service, to join us for a time of a fellowship in our gymnasium. Uh, there's some newcomers here. We'd love to, to meet you, get to know you. I know that if you have kids, I know that's urgent. You've got to get over there, make sure they're okay, and, and collect them. But uh, please feel free to come back into the gym, join us for some uh, fellowship, uh, cookies and coffee, and whatever else they're serving today. Uh, but now receive the Lord's blessing, and this is from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. May God, the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Lord bless you.